We've got a great Atomic Moms episode for you guys today. But first, I want to talk about my dirty laundry. In 2006, my boyfriend at the time and I used to go out on cute little laundromat dates. Okay, but it's 2015 now, and he's been my husband for like ever. And we even have a two-year-old. And he's still washing the same exact underwear and undershirts. This is why I'm bringing up our sponsor, Mac Weldon. They're reinventing men's basics. And I don't know who the model is on the front page of their MacWeldon.com, but you need to check him out. Okay, so the site is simple to use. There's socks, hoodies, sweatpants, t-shirts, etc. I gave some to Adam. He put on the undershirt and he said it, it felt like he wasn't wearing anything. He like did a GQ pose. They're really nice people. So if you buy something and you don't like it, you can keep it and they'll reimburse you, no questions asked. And another great thing is it's naturally antimicrobial. It eliminates the odor. MacWeldon.com. Get 20% off using the promo code ATOMIC. Get it. Stock up for the holidays. You know, just surprise him. And he'll think about you all day in his little undies. And get 20% off using our promo code ATOMIC. Hey, guys. It's Ellie Noss with Atomic Moms. Bianca Kylik is hard at work on Undateable, so I have dragged my... No. I came willingly. <laughs> she came totally willingly. Uh, Bridget Maloney Sinclair is in my guest co-host seat. Mm -hmm. She's my co-captain today. And what are we talking about today, Bridget? Well, uh, we are talking about being a mom or a parent, but a mom specifically, uh, in different parts of the world that you aren't from originally. So we are going to Vietnam and Gay Paris. Mm -hmm. And because Bridget just spent two weeks living in the foreign world of Brooklyn, we are now going to be interviewing mothers who live in different parts of the world who are American. Mm-hmm. And Miss Bridget, yes. we should tell our listeners how we came upon yes. this decision. Yes. When Ellie invited me to guest host, which I eagerly accepted, um, we were talking about who we wanted to speak to. And I mentioned that um, I knew someone who was currently raising a baby out of the country. I was very intrigued by that, in part because Joanna Goddard, um, who has the I'm sure very well known to the listener's blog, Cup of Joe. J-O. I love it. It's yeah. so beautiful. It's a, it's a great blog. She has a series that I eagerly await um, every installment of called Motherhood Around the World, I believe is what it's called. So inspired by that, we thought, and Ellie knows some expats, moms as well. We decided we wanted to speak to moms, American moms, raising babies in other countries. So now we're going to give a quick disclaimer yeah. because Bridget and I are full of disclaimers. <laughs> we never want to get in trouble. No, we're very, we're, yeah, we're good girls. We're such good girls. Yeah. Good women. Yeah. No, W-O-M-Y-N. Mm-hmm. Um, so the disclaimer is we're not trying to generalize. We're just getting specific stories. Yes. And everyone has their unique experiences. Obviously, these are two specific American-born women having specific experiences abroad. And um, we realize this doesn't reflect an entire culture or an entire experience. So buckle up, get your passports ready, because yeah. Atomic Moms is going across the world. We'll be right back. Atomic Moms, Ellie Noss here, and I am sitting across from my very special guest co-host, Bridget Maloney Sinclair. Hi, everybody, and hi, Ellie, and hi, Maria. Hello. Hello. Maria is, well, we just recorded a little interview with Maria, so you're going to know all about the behind the scenes of Atomic Moms coming soon, but... 
if there wasn't Maria, there would be no sound. And if there were sound, I would be saying a lot of things that would get me in trouble with my family. <laughs> she helps me with the editing process as well. Yeah. So, Miss Bridget, mm-hmm. who many of our listeners know from our special episode with you a long while yeah, back. How have you been doing since we last caught up? I've been doing well. I have a cold right now. So Me I'll too. apologize for not having my brightest tones. Um, <laughs> but I'm doing really well. We just got back on Saturday from two weeks in New York. So we're recovering from that, um, literally, because the baby and I both got sick. She's not a baby anymore. The toddler and I are both sick. And um, How old is Miss Phoebe? Phoebe is, so she's 20 months, which sounds like a joke. She's one and a half. But when talking to other moms, um, I like to be specific, <laughs> other parents, about how many months she is, because there's a big difference between one and a half... It's uh, all a blur like for me. 14 months, yeah. And one and a half at 22 yeah. months. So she'll be two in February. I love it. And for our new listeners, my daughter Sabrina is two and two months. Yeah. Right. So <laughs> my eyes just glazed months. over. She's 26 20, Yeah, she's 26 I, I laugh when people are like, my 38-month-old. But oh I, I do understand the significance of keeping it in such small increments. But um, yes, but we had a great time. She had a... I was there for work, but... Um, she really loved the Brooklyn playground culture. And okay. And how many years did you live in New York? Only with, three. Okay. So out of college, yeah, you, I, went, you lived in New York. I lived in New York from 2005 to 2008. And then you moved to LA. Yeah. And I've been- Where you grew up. Which is where I grew up. Yeah. But I've been back in LA now since before I was married or had a baby. So I've been back in LA for almost seven years. But many of my friends and family are still in New York. So it was really exciting. And it was also a really interesting- Experience. It was like study abroad. Exactly. Like, yeah, yeah. So for two weeks, yes. you're living there, and yes. which is a long enough time to really yes. get the ins and outs yes. of a place. And the, with one a baby. of the last days we were there, so we stayed in Clinton Hill, which is a neighborhood in Brooklyn with which I was not familiar. No, where is that? It's right by Fort Greene. I mean, it's it's. Um, so it's like, I think you still don't know still where consider that is. it South Brooklyn. So like okay. Williamsburg and Greenpoint yes. are in the northern part. And then the, and then the southern part of Brooklyn, which is an enormous borough, is um, Park Slope, Carroll Gardens, Cobble Hill, right. Forum Hill, all of those areas. So Fort Greene Park is a really big park, not as big as Prospect Park, but that, and it has the, um, oh, I'm going to mess this up. I should have Googled. It has the... Ship, mar- ship martyrs. I thought you were going to curse there. Prison, prison, <laughs> would you say? No, no. It has the prison ship martyrs. I'm messing this up. Memorial. It's got okay. a famous memorial in it. I'm so embarrassed. Um, but Get it, off my podcast. Yeah. It's, but it has an important memorial. Um, but <laughs> it's this neighborhood. It's very racially diverse. It's really neat. And um, it's become more and more popular. It's right by Prospect Heights. I don't know if okay. that means anything to you. And so what were, what were the dynamics of Brooklyn Playground? Well, first of all, I, was, I, I, it, I kind of knew this, but it turns out my uniform has been Brooklyn mom my whole life because, like, I've worn clogs since 1991. So, like, know, you are. You've always been the Brooklyn mom. Yeah. So I was like, oh, my people. Um, <laughs> but it was really fun. I collected baby names, like, the whole time to see what everybody was Bridget, named. Bridget, when I was pregnant. It gave me the longest list like of creative favorite. baby names. It's my favorite. And they were pretty remarkable. I tried to get Sabrina to be named Calliope for a while. 
<laughs> but um, you also recommended Aspen because that's where we got married. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm sure. Or Ajax, was, maybe it was Ajax. The Ajax. I don't remember. There are definitely some baby Ajaxes out there. Um, I yeah. So it okay. was, but it was really great. So they were all dressed like you. They all the moms were dressed like me. Yeah, the babies all yeah were appropriately chic also. But it was really um, not that I am, but the. It was great because our daughter, um, Phoebe, is she does physical therapy still because she was a late walker. I talked about that on the other podcast. And it was great because the, there were so many good play structures there because people don't have yards on the whole. And so everybody goes to the playground. And it was really like Phoebe was definitely inspired by other babies and like climbed stairs holding the rail up and down, which was a first. Oh, so exciting. It was very exciting. I let her fall off them once after lecturing my husband about being a helicopter parent and then on my watch Phoebe fell down so that was an important lesson for all of us um what not to well I was, also, helicopter? I was taking a picture yeah oh see that's always it <laughs> yeah. man you take the pictures which by the way I took a picture last night of Sabrina we have my kitchen table is a dining room table that I grew up with and so it still oh, has yes so it still has like my math problems dug in it oh, from my pencil like digging into the wood and it's like this old weird antique table my mom it's found at a yard table. sale or something yeah it's really beat up so now her favorite thing is to sneak under it and she likes to get stuck like Winnie the Pooh like she always says yeah. I'm stuck I'm stuck so she actually got stuck between uh, these like weird antique spindle things so there was a bar across her chest and a bar across her back and she couldn't get out she was really stuck but I had to take a picture well sure I mean if she's there anyway and then she started to panic so I put away the phone <laughs> But I had to tell her to turn her head to the left to to slide under because if her head was straight on, it like there wasn't it yeah. wasn't wide enough. Yeah. So it was a real trust exercise for us. She got an ice cream sandwich afterwards. Oh, so yeah, it worked she deserved out. it. She, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Okay. So maybe we don't take pictures. I know. Well, while yeah. our kids are on, you yes. know, in dangerous positions. Yes. Moral mm-hmm. of the story. That was the moral of the story. And I was actually taking it to prove to him, because he wasn't there, that it would, like, look, she's fine. Um, <laughs> but I got the picture, so. Um, no, but, she, yeah, it, she did great there. It was really fun. I also struggled a little bit with um, so many of my good girlfriends live there, women friends, um, and a lot of them don't have kids yet, and they only see Phoebe a few times a year. So I really had to, like, check my stage mom stuff because I really wanted her to perform well when she was around them. And, you know, she was a little jet-lagged, and, like, turns out toddlers don't like sports bars. We went to go watch <laughs> the Northwestern game. That was really overwhelming. Um, so, but I had to work on sort of being like, she's her own person, you know, speaking of Janet Lansbury. So, like, uh, allowing her to have her own experience. What was the craziest name that you got oh, on the that playground? That sounds so judgmental. I oh yeah, you're right. That is judgmental. Well, I mean, I'm so glad you called me out on that. No, no, no. I just, no, you're right. One person's crazy name, you know. Is well, listen, person's. I wanted to name my daughter Liberty so badly. Yeah, you could have, but then she was born on September 11th. Oh yeah, it was two on the nose. Seems like I, mean, a theme I really. Name. Do. I know. You called her I Liberty. Re- um, I talked to you about how I want to name her Liberty. I think there were, it was a real, it was a real mix. I, I am glad you called me out on that. You're right. 
Or just like what's which one are you most excited about? Well, there you were two. There before? were two Zolas, which I liked. Yes, Zola's um, the name of Ethan Sawyer's oh, baby. Okay, who so, we uh, just did a podcast with the college essay guy. Yeah, so there's like there are some Zolas oh, in the mix. That's a great name. It was the boys. There were fewer. There was a boy named Leiden, which I had never heard before. And then in August, which there are a couple of those kicking around. Yeah, it was, I mean, I really like, I was texting myself every, I don't know why, I just needed to see what everybody was named or hear. Um, but you yeah. were texting yourself? <laughs> well, I actually, I you guess. save it? Yeah, I guess what I mean is I was putting them in a file, a note, a note. <laughs> <laughs> just to see. So what was, so you stayed in the Airbnb yeah, for part we, of your time. Yeah, and almost the whole time. The whole time. And what was that like being in, renting out somebody else's space well, with a toddler? It was a third floor walk up, which was like <laughs> really a challenge. Um we had an ultralight stroller that's 11 pounds so we could carry it over our shoulder, but it was really a challenge. Um, and that was just because we needed two bedrooms. There were things we needed, so we kind of had to compromise. Like we couldn't, we looked for an elevator building, we looked for a first floor building, and um, we're not moving back to New York, but if we were, I mean, I would die. You can't do, live like that. Well, up the three <laughs> I mean, floors. If you have the option not to. Right. It's really, it was really challenging. And also it made me, like, Phoebe, our daughter, it's not like we live in a giant house, but, and the apartment was a nice size, but she would, like, do two laps around it and then go to the door and say, out, out, please, out. <laughs> Can you imagine in February? Yeah, I know. So, and people do it. It, it was it was very seductive because we were there when the weather was beautiful. And, you know, my husband was able to be with her. I only worked for a week of the time we were there. So the whole thing was, it was kind of like a perfect scenario yeah. um, of everything falling into it's place. It's a trap. It was a trap. It's a trap because you might consider it. I said we need to come back in, I actually said in February with her to realize just how impossible. Obviously, that's not true. Many, many, many people live in New York. I'm sure all of them listening are saying, yes, it's very hard. I think it is very hard. I, you know, our baby packed, right? Yeah. Um, We, so Adam and I, Adam really wanted to have a baby immediately and I kept holding off. And then I said, okay, I really want to live in New York for a period. If we live in New York for a couple months, then I will have your baby. So we rented an Airbnb in Williamsburg for a couple months. It was like end of October through December. Yeah. Um, And then afterwards, I immediately got pregnant. (laughs) Yeah, so everyone held their end. We held our end. I should have asked for the brownstone. But it was was such a fun, magical time to be there. Yeah. It's like, it's so fun. And people talk about different stuff than the industry. It's true. And there's fun restaurants. And I loved walking everywhere. Yeah. I had was, so much less anxiety there. It's, well, I I was saying that I, I had a different kind, but I did too. You're just too busy. And I mean, you don't have the same, you don't have like the dreaded car ride to obsess mm-hmm. about things because you've got to be aware on the train. Um, but yes, I know it is. It's really wonderful. It's, uh, somebody asked me, I was talking to a young person who was thinking about moving to LA. And she was like, but does everyone look like, is everyone obsessed with how they look there? And I laughed because I feel like people, not any more than New York, but it's very different. It's like New York is more fashion. LA is more how you look in your Lululemon. Yeah, exactly. Right. It's not about the clothes. Yeah. It's about that. Yeah, your bod. Your body. 
You got to start doing those weird facial exercises. I've been doing my face yoga. The face yoga you got to do. We got to teach us some face yoga, Bridget. I I think I hurt my jaw doing it. (laughs) Oh my God. I'm on a break. So listeners, this week, I hope you have your Atomic Moms passports ready Mm. because we are traveling the world. I have a very close girlfriend from college, Jenny, who moved to Paris and fell in love and has a toddler and and is doing it all there. Mm -hmm. And Miss Bridget, your friend. Yes, I have a friend from Northwestern named Diana who is spending the year in Vietnam. And Diana has a 13-month-old named Isabel. And Diana grew up right outside of D.C., and she's a freelance writer. But she and her husband and Isabel currently live in Hanoi, Vietnam. And they've been there for, I think, the last six or seven months. And it's pretty interesting. So we're going to be speaking to her. Okay, Diana, we would love for you to share with us your experience in Vietnam. Can we start with why are you there? <laughs> no, it's a great place. Yeah. Just what brings so you to Vietnam? My husband works in international <laughs> development, and even before we had a baby, got married, we sort of talked about um, his interest in living abroad somewhere um, because he uh, sort of, you know, working in international development, he said he felt a little bit like a phony not having, you know, lived in a developing country. Um, so he... Uh, So he uh, um, kind of suggested that when our baby was little, um, that we uh, go live somewhere at least for a year or two. And and at the time, I was getting my MFA in creative writing, so I was sort of like, sure, we can go. I can write anywhere. Lots of material. Did you want to do it when your baby was little because... Once they get older, they're in school and everything. What was the reason for doing it? Yeah, we didn't want to have to figure out school. And also there was a level, too, of, I mean, I I have a lot of friends that live abroad and expats that have older kids that really get to experience the country that's in, which I think is very, very cool. But then you're also dealing with an emotional level of your children having to sort of adapt to being in a whole other country. And so I kind of wanted to sort of be able to avoid that a little bit, just the sort of tumult of like having to adjust the kids to a new school and to being so far away from friends and family. And and the baby loves it there. She loves it because she hates wearing shoes, so oh. she gets to be barefoot all the time because it's really, really hot. So, um, yeah. How long have you been living there? We've been there about seven months now, um, and uh, we're actually just back in the U.S. for a visit until after Thanksgiving because it's kind of awesome. Our husband's company pays for us to fly back to the U.S. Uh, once a year to visit family, so we're taking advantage of that perk right now. And it's, it's also kind of good because my husband uh, gets sent away on trips a lot uh, for work, and uh, so he's been traveling a lot this month and to places that uh, aren't necessarily going to be the most baby friendly. We've tried to hop on a few trips that he's taken um, uh, to some success and and others not so much success. We're kind of learning since uh, our little girl Isabel is 13 months, we've had to kind of learn on the fly uh, uh, what what 
trips are baby friendly and what's, you know, sort of not so much on this side of the world. Because why, Dana, like you can't have a baby in the field when he's like looking at developing (laughs) A little bit like that. We we went to uh, a neat, a neat trip that was in, um, in an area called uh, Binh Dinh Province, which is sort of central Vietnam, uh, by the coast. And they had uh, they were visiting, I believe it was a rice project that they do, because my husband's company is uh, kind of works for agricultural projects. And uh, so it was us and another co-worker of my husband's and then like the people from the Department of Agriculture in Vietnam. And, and your baby. Uh, we went and they, I mean, they put us up in a really nice hotel by the beach with a pool, which was great for the baby. Uh, but the first day we went out sightseeing and, you know, uh, we went to this little sort of museum, which was very baby friendly. But the next stop we went to was this giant temple at the top of this very, very high hill with oh a lot gosh. of steps. So uh, I sort of, and it was incredibly hot out. So uh, the baby and I hung out in the car while everybody else went up the stairs. And then uh, we also went to this nature preserve and it was sort of wild because we went on this, like, they were like, Oh yeah, yeah, no, it'll be great for the baby. And we kind of didn't know what kind of trekking we'd be doing. So we went on these like tiny little gondola sized boats and put our stroller on one of them. And these poor boatmen like the kind of rowed us over to this little Island. And we didn't realize that all we'd be doing, and was kind of hanging out on hammocks on the island, which was great because I was a little worried that we'd be doing actual trekking, which is not super baby-friendly. But we just ended up hanging out on hammocks on an island, which uh, was pretty much my speed with the baby, and she took a nap on me on the hammock, which was heaven. So that was doable. Um, But, yeah, no, there's been just other trips where he's had to, you know, kind of be in super rustic, no air conditioning kind of accommodations, like you shower and it's a bucket on the floor kind of situation, which, uh, you know, with, uh, with a little baby that's starting to learn how to be mobile, it's not the best idea to go along on those. What, what kind of culture shock did you experience when you came back to the States on this most recent trip? Was there something that stood out the most? Yeah, it's it's really funny because I went the first, my parents were having their anniversary, so I decided I would cook them dinner. And just the act of being able to go with a grocery list, and I even went to, it wasn't even like I went to this huge, you know, um, you know, pavilions or Albertsons or anything like a huge grocery store. I went to like a small neighborhood co-op and it was still like, I felt like I was like Charlie in the chocolate factory, being able to like run up and down the aisles and find everything I needed. And, uh, like that was revelatory to me. I was so excited because, uh, shopping in Hanoi, even though we do live kind of in walking distance to a grocery store and a kind of very expat friendly gourmet market, um, things are so seasonal there. You know, I'm, I'm, that was a big sort of shock was you're used to in the U S being able to get like any produce, anything you want, any time of year. Um, but there it's really much kind of what they happen to have, uh, spices are, it's just a very different kind of eating. And so spices like that you'd cook with are, are quite expensive and you have to go to the gourmet market to get them. And, um, 
you know, a lot of meat tends to be very expensive unless, you know, we have a kind of street market right outside in our alleyway uh, where we can get some produce that's cool. But it's sort of touch and go. Some of it's really great. Some of it's not great. And and I'm not super comfortable yet with, like, getting the meat that, you know, you can see the entire chicken with its head cut off kind of on the street <laughs> or meat that they're kind of, uh, you know, beef that they're kind of chopping at, um you know, on a table, you know, right, right next to like the kind of dirty road, not totally where I want to get meat from. So it's just that, that was the biggest sort of like, oh my gosh, I can get anything I want and make anything I want. That was pretty huge. And Diana, where do you get your baby supplies? Because you don't have Amazon Prime. So. Oh my God. No, no. That was the biggest, like, oh, that was the biggest killer is that Amazon does that. And I even, I try, trust me, I like, I'm part of Facebook message groups. I was like, is there any way Amazon will deliver? And like, you could kind of do like back alley orders. (laughs) Wait, wait, what does that mean? you're never guaranteed that someone's going to be able to like get it delivered to you and and they go through mail a lot there and just the nature of the government there uh so you don't always get what you've ordered so i've avoided amazon but there are um there are some nice baby stores where you can generally get kind of bottles and um diapers have have i've been able to get the grocery store or at these sort of baby stores they have around but it's very trial and error (laughs) trying to find ones uh the like pampers that they make there and the huggies they make there are like super super thin uh so it's been kind of a uh a trial and error going through different brands and seeing what I like. And like, I found a, a wipes brand I like, and you kind of have to buy up their whole supply because you could come back the next day and they could totally be wiped out of whatever they are have. Are you going to, are you going to take like seven bags? Oh back? yeah. I, I already have, like I, my mom went to Costco and oh I my gosh. buy like a giant box of diapers yeah. and we're just going to like check it for the plane Diana, <laughs> and bring it back with it's us. Like, and, you're like, you're smuggling, you're smuggling. Yeah supplies back. I know. I was like, I'm not going to sell it. I promise. It's just Just for me. Um, But I mean, the best resource ever is um, even before I left, I kind of looked up parenting groups that were in Hanoi. And there's a really wonderful channel. Like it's a a Google group called, I think it's, you know, Hanoi Babies and Families. And there, it's just a real, there's some locals, but it's a lot of sort of an expat channel. Channel for people to post, you know, I'm having a yard sale or I'm selling these products. And so that's how I was able to get swim diapers because they don't sell swim diapers in Hanoi. Uh, so I was able to buy packages of swim diapers. And, you know, I was able, we shipped over a ton of our stuff too, because my husband's company paid for us to ship everything over. So like we sold someone our Jolly Jumper when Isabel got too big, we sold our Exorcer. And, you know, I try to sell things at, at a reasonable price. A lot of people will try to like really mark things up yeah. to make a profit, which, <laughs> you know, I've, I've kind of like blasted people on, on Facebook because I think that's sort of uncool. Yeah. Um, super uncool, yeah, you know, but most, most people are just super, super friendly and, and about selling stuff and getting baby stuff. And, um, and, you know, so we've sort of made a list of, like, it's hard to get Desitin there. So um, 
whenever we've had friends come visit or people come through, uh, we've kind of given them a wish list sure. of things we want. And, and like baby sunblock is incredibly expensive there. It's expensive to get desitin. So people will bring us uh, <laughs> like that'll be their gift to us for us showing them around Hanoi. And can you get it shipped or is it just too expensive? Like if I were to send it's an Atomic Mom's really care package. Okay. Like my So my I should not do that for you. Us. Ellie was going to send you stuff, Diana. You just talked her out of it. <laughs> I'm here in D.C. for another month. He's oh, you're right. To me. Yeah. I'll just Good smuggle point. it back. I'm, you know, I'm doing a baby smuggling service I mean, We should here. stop saying um, that just to you. Not real babies. I know. Is the supplies. government listening to us right now, by the Some way? Some government is listening know, to like, us. She's smuggling children. Yeah. Um, do you, is everything monor- monitored in Vietnam by the government? Like, um, Facebook is pretty open now. Like I'm part of this and it's half entertainment, half useful, but I'm part of a Facebook group that if any mom needs a way to entertain themselves when they're like breastfeeding at 5am, I join this group Hanoi Massive and it is wild. It's like people sell stuff on there, but also people post like the craziest sob stories about, um, you know, like, I fell in love with this Vietnamese woman, but my wife just had a baby, and she's in England, and I don't know what to do. Like, these very soap operas of, of like, love and romance and cheating, and they're like my telenovela of Hanoi. Um, and so that's so the... Facebook's pretty fair game these days. It's only the tough thing is Twitter is you have to kind of go through back internet channels to be able to access Twitter. So Twitter's pretty pretty shut down. Like I said, Amazon, you can't get anything delivered. Um, and most websites aren't blocked off. Um, you can't do any... No Netflix, no any streaming services, which that's been that's been pretty painful because we have a couple channels on our TV, but uh, they play the same thing over and over and over again. So I've probably watched like the same episode of Devious Maids like seven times. <laughs> I haven't watched America's Next Top Model in probably ten years, but I've gotten back into watching it because that's like what they show all the time. So I I have a few questions for you, Diana. It's Bridget here. Um, so what's it like being because you're a white person so what's it like being a parent in a country where you know being a white person with a baby in a so obviously not from there although I know there are white people from Vietnam but you know what I'm saying like walking around like hey I'm new here and the thing is the thing is too like I'm so a lot of why we chose Vietnam also is my little sister's adopted from there and so we've been back a couple times and it's just pretty wild this time around there are so many expats all over and um people are actually you know, um, almost everybody speaks English. Oops, <laughs> my baby is upset, so I'm I'm coming coming in to keep her company. <laughs> um, but yeah, so um, a lot of people are super interested in. Um, meeting Americans, too, because they love American pop culture, but also um, they um, almost everybody is learning English there in school. It's a requirement, so they want to come up to you and they want to try out their English. Um, But especially 
they one thing that's really struck me about the Vietnamese culture um, is how much universally they love babies. So I think like um, very much my baby has been a nice calling card to meet locals and have locals come up and talk to me and and want to be friendly towards me because unlike the U.S. where it's, you'll find some people love babies and some people really don't want to be bothered, um, this is like universally a culture that I've had an old man want to hold Isabel on the plane, <laughs> you know, when she was fussing. I've had teenage, you know, Vietnamese teenage boys want to push her in the swing at the park. Um, I've had people wanting to take selfies with her. See, all of these um, things would so- make me nervous. So how do you, yeah. what, how do you, what do you, what's your response? These strange men love my baby. No, but I know, yeah. I know definitely been an adjustment period for sure. Um, I remember like the second day we got there and we went to a restaurant and this woman immediately was like, can I hold your baby who works there? And, and I said, um, I was like, um, okay, sure. You know, and, um, and she immediately just turns around and starts walking my baby towards the kitchen and was like, I'm going to show her to the chef. <laughs> and this <laughs> and huge husband, pot of like, boiling water. Follow her into the kitchen, yeah. you know, so it's definitely, it's definitely been an experience of, you know, adjusting, but people are so friendly there that there's no, I don't feel a lot of threat from strangers and I do sort of draw the line, um, you know, certainly, you know, if it's people that I know, my husband's coworkers, you know, we've been invited to tons of cookouts, um, and, and most of his coworkers are Vietnamese. And, and so I'm, I'm totally up for if they want to hold the baby. But um, my, my only thing is, you know, a lot of people will try to offer criticism or whatever, and also they love to, they sort of advocate for uh, sh- cutting baby's hair and shaving baby's hair um, so it will grow back faster. That's kind of a custom. And so they're like, oh, do you want to shave? You know, you should shave her hair. You should. I was like, no, I'm not going to do that. And, you know, they also uh, want to tell me, oh, put a hat on her head, you know, and because and, they're very, very covered up there. Uh, none of the, as, as opposed to the U.S., they do not want to get a tan because um, it's sort of a, a show of uh, their social status, um, you know, for worse, uh, the kind of whiter you are. Um, the more in sort of a higher class you are. So they're like appalled that I don't have every inch of her covered up in like 100 degree weather. Uh, so yeah, it's sort of the criticism I don't listen to, but uh, people are are so generally friendly and warm. Um, and she's a very, I think the biggest thing that helps is she's such a happy, adaptable baby. So it's really only been recently that she's gotten, um, you know, sort of a little bit of social anxiety and mommy, mommy, mommy. But most of the time she's like thrilled to meet new people um, and loves to be out and about. So she's she's loved the attention. Diana, what's the best unsolicited advice you've gotten? Can you think of anything? Oh, gosh. Um, I mean, I think a lot of the time uh, they don't bring babies out before they're one year old. And so people will just turn and be appalled and kind of point their finger in the direction of, like, go home, stay inside. And, like, (laughs) uh, for me, uh, I even in the U.S., I go stir-crazy if I'm indoors for, like – 
even if I'm indoor, I need to get out at least some point in the day. And I've been taking my baby out, um, you know, since she was super little, uh, just because I get I get a bit, you know, cabin feverish. And so, you know, a lot of people would not have – it's so funny because a lot of people there would not have me out and about with a baby. And yet uh, you should see there how people fling their baby on their motorbike and just go. Like, they'll be wearing a helmet on the motorbike because it's the law, but, like, their baby won't be wearing a helmet. They put them in these little sort of, like, chairs, like a high chair that's strapped to the, like, front of their motorbike and just go. The, with, the baby uh, likes babies, the wind so. in its hair. <laughs> the baby. shaven. Oh, you're right. There's no <laughs> hair. With totally shaved heads. They're shaved yeah. head babies on their motorbikes. You know, it's so it's that's pretty that's pretty wild. I and there are a lot. What's the most surprising to me is there are a ton of expats, and I even have friends too that will put their you know one year old on their motorbike and go. And it's it's less that people are like really going fast. It's that people drive crazy yeah. there, and there are so many um, people on motorbikes that I just I don't trust. I you know I don't trust other people and and. I'm way too nervous. Way, way too nervous. I imagine. So Isabel, Isabel will not be riding on a motorbike during our time in Vietnam. I imagine that it's very noisy where you live. Is that correct? Um, what's kind of nice is our neighborhood. We we really picked the perfect neighborhood. We live in a neighborhood called Westlake, which is sort of north of the old quarter. Um, sorry, my Isabel wants to get in on the conversation. I love it. Um, but uh, it's it's along this big lake, and it's a really nice mix of uh, expats and local people. And so um, we live sort of tucked back away from the main street um, in this sort of quieter neighborhood. So it's, you know, we do get a little peace and quiet. The, the most sort of shocking thing is that there are a ton of roosters in our neighborhood. So we'll hear like, eh, 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 like first thing in the morning while it's still dark. So that's the primary noise that took some getting used to. Um, but for the most part, like we don't hear a lot of the traffic because we're kind of tucked back in one of these sort of labyrinthian uh, alleyways. And, and when you move back to the States, what do you think you'll miss most about raising your child in Vietnam? Um, I mean, I really think I've built a really nice community of moms, which, which in the U.S., um, besides uh, many of my friends like Bridget who live, uh, you know, in Los Angeles who have babies, I'm the first of my friends in D.C., which is where we were living before, to have a baby. And now they're kind of all going like dominoes. They're all pregnant, all of my friends now. But uh, back then, you know, when I had Isabel over a year ago, uh, I was the first of my friends, so I really had no mom friends. And I've met this sort of wonderful group of expat moms from all over the world. Um, and that's been a really kind of amazing thing to just sort of, you know, see how they raise their children and the sort of like values and activities and interests they bring with them. And, and so that's been really amazing. I'll definitely miss that. Um, and just that sense of community, I think is really awesome. But I also I'll miss how, you know, like I said before, how warm and welcoming, you know, the Vietnamese people are to babies. 
you know, like I can bring Isabel into any restaurant and people are thrilled to see her. Half the time, you know, like I said, it's, it's as if I'm like bringing Taylor Swift to an American shopping mall. Like everybody wants a photo and a selfie and wants to touch her and hold her and hug her. And, um, and it's just, you know, a lot of the time in the U.S. I found like, you know, I'll bring a baby to a restaurant and, and half the restaurant will roll their eyes before she even does anything, you know. So I'll definitely miss that sort of welcoming nature of people towards children. Yeah, sounds appealing. Um, yeah. <laughs> well, thank you for talking with us, Diana. Hi to Isabel, who's back there. This is very <laughs> interesting. And informative. Very informative. I'm yeah. going to go get oh, Sabrina a passport. It's been a real pleasure. Thank you, guys. Thank you so much. Okay, Bridget, when you knew Diana in college, did you think she would end up living in Vietnam with a baby? No, I didn't. I didn't. But uh, that's what's so neat about growing up. I mean, we end up all sorts of places. Yeah. And we constantly surprise people. Yes. So now we're going to be calling Paris, France to talk to my college girlfriend, Jenny. In between potty training and goodnight moon, bedtime stories with her two-year-old Franco-American, Jennifer also manages corporate communications across Europe, the Middle East, and Africa for the world's leading cybersecurity company, Symantec. So we could have like five episodes with Jenny talking about travel, how she has gone. I think, I think they have had like a billion international trips with their child and also um, juggling being a hardcore working mama. Uh, Today we're going to talk about being a mommy in Paris. Bonjour. <laughs> Hello. How are you? Hi, Jenny. This is my girlfriend, Bridget. Hi, Jenny. I'm Bridget. Nice to meet you. Hi, Bridget. Nice to meet you virtually. Mm-hmm. Okay. Can you set the scene for us? Where are you right now, Miss Jenny? I am at home right now. And where is home? And home is in Paris. Well, sorry. It's in the burbs of Paris, to be exact. <laughs> Is it? Is I took French for so long and I'm terrible, Jenny. Is it the look, wait? Is Bagnole? What? How do you say suburb? Is that something else? Bonlieu. Yes, exactly. It's Bonlieu. Um, yes, we are in the Bonlieu of Paris, coming direct over to you guys from the Bonlieu of Paris. Um, we're actually about halfway between the Charles de Gaulle Airport and Paris. So we have a lovely little house and a lovely little neighborhood um, that we absolutely enjoy. Can you tell us first a little bit about falling in love with your husband in Paris while you were studying abroad in college? My junior year abroad, I went to Paris as part of a study abroad program that we had at Ellie and my, our lovely alma mater, Smith College. And um, when I was studying abroad, I met this great guy named Daniel in a bar. Um, And we had a relationship. And before I went back, because I had to finish school, I had to go back and finish my senior year. We kind of talked about, do we want to pursue a long-term relationship? Um, Is this going anywhere? And we decided, let's give this a shot. We're liking this. And if, if it doesn't work out, then at least we can say that we tried. So I moved back to the U.S., finished up my senior year. We kept on going very, very strong. And um, so it, the rest was history pretty much after that. I looked for a job to come back to Paris after I finished school. And um, we lived in a lovely little apartment that was his bachelor pad at first. 
And uh, the rest is pretty much history. He proposed about a year later. We had a tiny little wedding uh, in the Paris region and then um, had a big blowout ceremony a couple of years after that um, in my home in Tucson, Arizona. And so when you guys started to talk about having a baby, what what came up? What were the big issues? So I think the biggest issue and something that we talked about before we got married is do we want kids? Do we not want kids? And he is 10 years older than I am. He looks, so he has such we, a baby face. <laughs> he does have a baby face. You wouldn't know that he's 10 years older. So I didn't have a lot going for me when I came back and announced to my parents that I had fallen in love with a Frenchman, um, having grown up in a military family who was 10 years older than me that I met at a bar. Um, <laughs> bad, bad but, trifecta. There. And wasn't the bar called yeah. the Princess and the Frog? It was. It was so that's another sign. You were the, the princess. Frog. It and was a got- sign. Um, so we discussed children, not children. He was really, he wanted to have kids. I think me kind of starting off with my career and wanting to get that going, I was a little less, eh, I don't see myself having kids right now, but we made an agreement. We'll do kids, but let's, let's do it before kind of around the time I'm 30 ish. We actually fell, you know, followed through with that plan, um, which is really surprising, but it's not surprising if you know, Jenny, (laughs) you follow through (laughs) with your plans. (laughs) Yes, I do. We had the plan. So by the time I was 30, we were trying to have kids and, um, got pregnant shortly after. And it was quite the incredible journey doing that in France. However, I don't really know what the regular uh, journey is over in the U S but I know that my journey, at least in France was what I consider to be normal. So um, have a little bilingual child that we're trying to raise. I speak to her in English and Daniel speaks to her in French and her life is very much in French with the 10% of English that she gets from me throughout the day. Does she speak unaccented English, Jenny? So she, as any toddler probably does, they, she, she gets out words in her so she sometimes pronounces it really correctly, and sometimes it's just kind of in her toddler right, jargon. Say, she has a toddler accent either way. <laughs> exactly. It's a toddler accent. I think that's the best way of saying it. In both languages. So she's fluent in toddler. Um, but it's really funny because she either gravitates towards English uh, or French for a specific word. So whereas a plane, she'll say that word in French. The car, she'll say that word in English. Um, so it's really funny. And so sometimes I have to do a little bit of translation for our nanny. Um, who looks after her to say, you know, this word means this, this word means that. Then she has her own words that are just her own words that don't exist in either language as well, of course. Um, So we can understand what she's saying. But if you're French or American, um, there's a little bit of translation that needs to happen. (laughs) Absolutely. Can you speak a little bit about um, after delivery when, because when you came to the States once we were discussing like how long you're able to stay in the hospital after you have your child and all that jazz, can you uh, make some American mothers jealous with all the the love you guys get postpartum? (laughs) Absolutely. So I think that what's really great um, is that mothers are really put on a pedestal or at least pregnant moms are put on a pedestal here in France. And So if you're in the metro or you're on the bus or you're waiting in line at the grocery store, if they see a bump, people really go out of their way to ensure that you're taking the first place in line or you have a seat. Um, I remember that when we were traveling, 
Um, we've traveled multiple times uh, to the U.S. and security lines at the airport is a big thing. They put us through the priority lane. Um, so they really do try to put moms on a pedestal and, and think about their, their well-being. And when um, I went to the clinic, you actually stay in the hospital for three days. You stay in the hospital or the clinic for three days until the baby starts to gain weight again. So that's usually about three days. You do have to come with all of your own supplies. I know that in the U.S., for example, they have the little baby hats with like those those pink and blue stripes, yeah, right, that everybody sure. gets or yeah. the, the blanket. You come with your own hat. You come with your own clothes. You come with your own little baby blanket. But what was great was I think those first couple of days are – you know, you're going through a lot, right? You're kind of on this crazy sleep schedule. What was great was staying in this clinic for three days, um, really having people help us out, giving us pointers all the time. People were cooking for us as well, too. It was actually pretty good. They're trying to cook these well-balanced meals, vegetables, some grains, um, some meat, and croissants in the morning for breakfast. So that really did help alleviate with some of the stress. And then getting some pointers in the middle of the night while you're up from midwives that are coming and saying, how's everything going? How are you doing? They really do look after you. And then there's also these checkups that you have with your midwife after you give birth to. And it's their way of ensuring that you're being well taken care of, that you don't have any questions. It's also their way of looking to see, are there any signs of postpartum depression or anything that's a little bit more serious than just the basic baby blues or any crazy questions that you have. Is this normal what my baby is doing? Please tell me. Is there any sort of like pelvic floor stuff? I feel like in Paris there's like, (laughs) right? There was pelvic floor stuff as well too. Tell us about that because we don't get any pelvic floor stuff in America. You can get like a referral, but yeah, it's not a default. (laughs) Really? Oh, this is definitely a default in France. Um, So about a month and a half after you give birth, they get you into sessions with your midwife to, I don't even know how to say this, but yes, the pelvic floor, get back in shape more or less. And I think that each midwife um, or OBGYN does things differently. Um, however, my experience is that I had to buy this little um, instrument from the pharmacy um, and you stick it onto your pelvic floor. I won't go into too much detail in terms of where that is, but, you know, right where all the action happens, right, when you were giving birth. And I had to blow into this little device that was connected to this thing that looks like an iPod almost. And when you're blowing into it, it sends these like little mini electric shocks down there. And you're supposed to, uh, like tighten your muscles for 15 seconds while you're blowing into this thing and getting the, the, the pelvic shocks. And I had to do it every day, uh, for about a half an hour, um, each day for about six weeks to tighten my muscles. Is this why down there. everyone in France has better sex? Yeah. Like <laughs> I'm still peeing when I jump the rope. Your motive there is to make sure that everybody still has a good they sex They have their life priorities afterwards. in well, check. Multiple children, you know. Yeah. They, <laughs> so do you, Oh my god, I love this. So do you, um talk to us about uh your mother was in Arizona and you had your mother-in-law with you. Is that correct? Because it's, Correct. And Daniel's mom is she she's from Spain? She's from Spain. Okay, so you've got a bunch of different cultures going on. How, what were her sort of expectations of, you know, childcare versus your American ways potentially? So I think that like a lot of Mediterranean mamas, she wanted to be right there um, 
and with us. It's not necessarily like limited to the Mediterranean, generally. Yeah, it probably, especially with their Mediterranean mom, is I, I, they're really close to their their kids, and this is her first, you know, gr- you know, grandchild, and she um, lives in Spain. Um, she wanted to be right here when we were giving birth, which I definitely understood. But I think that you know those first postpartum weeks you know, those are really challenging and they can be very intimate in terms of the things that you're going through, um, between nursing struggles and, um, postpartum depression or the baby blues and a lot of different emotions, lack of sleep. Um, and so for us, we kind of made the decision that at least for the first couple of weeks, we don't want any family staying at the house because we just want to experience this and kind of get through those rough patches as a couple first without inviting our family, um, into it. Um, and I think that there's something to be said about having your own mom who knows you well, um, who knows how to console you, you know, where to give you pointers. And for me, it was really important to have my mom there at first, um, especially, which I think was really, really challenging for, um, my husband's mother. Um, I think that we're still getting a little bit of an earful about that to this day that she wasn't there during the time. But, you know, I think that something that we've really learned as we've grown up and become the people that we are is that, you know, in our house, we have to make the decisions that we feel are really right for us and for our child. And that's what we felt was really best is having my mom there at first to really help me out through some of these things. And then she came a couple of weeks later when Gabrielle was about six weeks old. And then we opened up a big bottle of Dom Perignon. Um, and celebrated together for a couple of days. So it was a little crazy having, you know, family back and forth uh, for those first couple of months, but made it work. Here's my question for you, Jenny. I mean, you've been in France for so long that I'm sure, well, I'm wondering, are there elements of being, when do you feel most American as a parent is what I'm curious about asking or knowing rather. You know, that's really funny because you're right. I've been here for so long. And I actually have a couple of friends that make the joke that I'm more French than I am American. Well, you always I, have been, I feel like. <laughs> I feel like I'm kind of in this in no man's land. Were. That When I go over to the U.S., I feel very French. Mm-hmm. But here in France, I still feel very American. Um, I don't really feel like it's being pointed out that I'm an American mom or that I'm doing things differently. There are some things here and there that I think are part of a broader debate in terms of, do you let your kids cry it out? Do you not let them cry it out? Um, and I had a very specific point of view in terms of what I think I wanted to do with my child. But I think that there are some things in France, generally speaking, that they very much adhere to in terms of letting your child cry it out because that's how they learn to soothe themselves to sleep, how to go to sleep by themselves. They're not going to let them cry for an hour, mind you. But that was something I know that came up in discussion um, when she was an infant that we still continue to sleep with her um, in the same room until she was gosh, nine months or so probably. And we would lay down with her to get her to sleep or I'd rock her to sleep. Whereas most French parents had far moved beyond that by that time. They just would, you know, be able to put their baby down and they might cry for a couple of minutes, but uh, they knew how to fall asleep by themselves. So I kind of felt at some point like that. I'm going, dang, I shouldn't have done this. Maybe I should have let that crying out thing happen a little bit more. People are wild about this book, bringing up Bebe. (laughs) And she has, say so it. Patricia Druckerman, um, a New York Times columnist, wrote that book. And she has another book called French Children Don't Throw Food. Yes. yes. So do you like these books? Are, are Parisians talking about these books too? Or is it just Americans? 
No, she definitely was on the air in France talking about this book. And I think they, the French are really, they really like psychology and, um, sociology. And so these kinds of, uh, thoughts in terms of cultural differences are things that they really like to explore. So she actually had quite the hit in France as well, well too. It also, was published in French. I mean, the French come out on top in that book. <laughs> I mean, I'm not disagreeing. Like, I now feel ridiculous every time I use my cup holder on my stroller because she writes about how, like, the French are think it's insane we bring our drinks to go on the stroller. Um, exactly. But, and and I, I still get – so something I do all the time is I have her little sippy cup that I bring with me all over the place because I just don't trust her with a real glass quite yet. I just think, especially at a restaurant, I don't want nightmares in front of me. So people always look at us a little strangely when I pull out her sippy cup. Oh my God, that's hilarious. (laughs) Are there other instances where people might look at you differently? So I think that that's a big one. Um, We were in Normandy this past weekend as well, too. And I actually brought along a little plate and a little fork and a little spoon. Um... (laughs) So they kind of looked at us, but it wasn't in a bad way. It's kind of more like, wow, you're really prepared. Wow, that's that's fantastic. We've never actually had somebody do that before. But for us, it's kind of part of the normal year that we bring with us everywhere. Um, we always have like this backpack that we bring with everything you could ever imagine just in case you ever need it, where I think that very much the French way of doing this, yeah, not bringing your, your to-go cup with you all over the place and everything you could ever need. And kids just really learn, I've I've seen, to drink their water out of a regular glass, um, or to use a regular fork and a regular spoon. So and that's kind of fun. So Jenny, you have three nephews in the States. Will you, uh, be hosting them anytime soon in your Parisian suburban home? I know that they want to come out here and visit. They have this long dream of coming, coming to Paris, but I think also logistically, again, with the flight costs, with having three little boys come with you with their seats, um, oh, it sounds like a they just disaster. welcomed number three, six months ago. Oh, congratulations. So, yeah. So they have their hands full. Um, but I'm, I'm sure that we'll make that happen at some point. I know we will be seeing them in about a month because we're going back to the U S for Thanksgiving for the first time in 10 years. So oh. we're really excited about that. Can you tell our listeners a little bit about your Thanksgivings that you do in Paris? Thanksgiving, I make sure that I do this every single year because it's a big holiday for me. It's not a holiday here in, in, in Europe, as you can imagine, but I take the day off and I have to order a turkey um, through our butcher. And we have to go drive and get it because you don't just find the butter balls in the supermarket like you do over in the U.S. Um, and I've learned a lot of different experiences. The first time I ordered a turkey to do a Thanksgiving feast about 10 years ago, um, we ordered the turkey. And the night before, we got a call saying, would you like us to defeather the turkey for you? <laughs> you could have had a very authentic Thanksgiving. And I said, please, please could you to feather the turkey for us because I don't know how to do that. I just go when I pick up my butterball. You know, that's what we do over in the U.S. So they defeathered it. Then we get another call. Do you want us to take out, um, oh, I, I forget the word in English for this, but, you know, the innards, like the heart and, you yeah, know. Yeah, the gizzards. The gizzards. The gizzards. There yeah. you go. Can, you want us to take out the gizzards. And I said, please. That would be fantastic as well because over in the U.S. they come these little, you know, plastic bags that are inside the cavity. We just can kind of remove them. So please, that would be wonderful as well. Nonetheless, the day after, I get this wooden cage that's delivered with the turkey and he's defeathered. 
Um, a wooden his head cage. And his feet are still on, however. Well, this is making you confront what eating a turkey really is. <laughs> exactly. And I say that as someone and, and who eats turkey, but the a lot of listeners just went vegan. very much wanting to understand, you know, the animal. They want to look at the eyes to make sure it's fresh. So this was very much a cultural thing. But my butcher has since learned that he kind of knows the deal with me, you know, take off the feathers, take out the gizzards, <laughs> take off the head and the feet for me. And, um, and then we invite all of our friends over. So I usually do about a Thanksgiving feast for about 15 to 20 people. And last year we had a turkey, I think it was only about 18 or 19 pounds. That's not crazy big by American standards, but I was just barely able to get it into the oven. So it was a little bit of a, a challenge there, like trying to find every which way to ensure it gets into the oven. So, um, but it's something that the French, our French friends really look forward to every single year is participating in this, um, in this feast. And they were all really disappointed when I said, we're not going to do Thanksgiving this year. And they're actually trying to see if I can if I can do Thanksgiving in December instead oh, so cute. they can still get their Thanksgiving it's very nice, feast. but yeah, it's, that's, that's adorable. Demand. It is a big demand. <laughs> that's hilarious. If you're cooking stateside, it's a big demand. It is. Um, Jenny, r- lastly, I would just love to give you the opportunity to share with our listeners how um, concerned you were and maybe some of my friends in college about when the time would come that I would become a mother. Yeah, I think that <laughs> out of all of our friends, Ellie was definitely the one that we said she can not ever be a mother. Um, <laughs> not mean, Ellie. But I have a mom podcast. Knowing, knowing Ellie, and we would make little jokes sometimes, or Ellie would make jokes about, you know, I'm going to be the one who's going to be the soccer mom probably. Just watch what happens. And um, yeah, Ellie was somebody that none of us really envisioned being I know. Right. And then you came to my home and you saw me with Sabrina and I wasn't half bad. You were, you are amazing with her. I actually picked up some stuff. I just was, it's really funny because when I was watching you, it was kind of like night and day. I still love you, Ellie, but I could just see the transformation. Like, this is not the same Ellie that I imagined you being if you had a child. And you are just, you can just see the amount of love that you have um, for Sabrina and how involved you are. And you gave me a harmonica, which was the best idea ever. Gabrielle loves it. And some stickers, which we hadn't done before. So you are, you've got lots of tricks up your sleeve. Uh, thank you for sharing that, Jenny. I, I would joke in college all the time about how I just give my kid a can opener. I'm not much better in the food department now, but I have done a lot of growing, I think. And it's so sweet of you to say that, Jenny. So thank you. I can imagine. Yeah, you were amazing. Uh, Miss Jenny, we have to have you back on soon because we got to talk about planes and all that stuff. Uh, You're going to be our French correspondent. We love you and thank you for coming on and we'll talk to you very soon. Thank you so much. I've enjoyed the time. I would love to be your French correspondent. Speak to you soon. Okay. Can you say you've been listening to Atomic Moms? Uh, you have been listening or you're listening to? Yeah, okay, fine. You're listening to. <laughs> okay. Vous écoutez Atomic Moms. Thanks, Jenny. Love you. Bye. You're welcome. Bye. Okay, I'm Purelling, not because we were just traveling with the podcast, but because I keep having these cough attacks. <laughs> oh.
Uh, that was so interesting, wasn't it? Yes. It was Diana great. and Jenny were fantastic guests. They were. I learned a lot. I did too. I have some envy, but also I feel really happy about my Amazon Prime membership. Yes, so happy. I might have poor business practices. <laughs> I'm very happy about that as well. And also that I don't have to look at the animals' heads and feet because then I might be vegetarian. I know, but doesn't it make you feel like maybe you should be yes. if you don't want to look at their heads and feet? It does. I know. All big questions. Well, yeah. <laughs> we, we can be explored further later. Um, okay. I We have some business to get to now. Yeah. Every week, new listeners, we do a mom session and a mom bomb. And the mom session is a fun thing or a trick that parents can use to make their lives a little easier. So this week, Bridget will be bringing her mom session to yeah. us. This is on theme for today. Um, and because I just got back, it's fresh in my mind. Um, Phoebe gets her own seat on the plane for various reasons, and we bring her car seat, and then we have it wherever we're going. And we have purchased, we have the Bricka roll-and-go car seat transporter, but Go-Go Baby also makes one. And you it's basically a luggage cart designed just for your car seat. And it's amazing. And can she, Phoebe, can sit in her car seat yes. and get strolled through the airport. It basically turns the car seat into a stroller. It is and then you just check it? Uh, we carry it on. Oh. It folds up. It's tiny once it folds up. It's amazing. It makes it so much easier, even if you also have a stroller. Uh, honestly, I feel like I should print cards and then get money back. So many people stop me at the airport to ask about it. It's miraculous. Well, maybe we'll get some sort of partnership with Yeah, yeah like, hey, guys. <laughs> so if you go to our social media at Atomic Moms on Instagram and Facebook and on Twitter... Uh, we will be sharing that yes, with you all. I highly recommend it. It feels like an investment, but it's sturdier than a luggage cart, and it will make your life so much easier. And today I have a mom bomb. I was a freshman in college when I was cast in a play called The Children's Hour by Lillian Hillman. And it was directed by Austin Pendleton, who is an incredible actor and director. And I played Mary Tilford, who is basically pure evil. But there's one thing she would always say with her aunt who took care of her. Um, I love you more than all the words and all the books and all the world. And she's an incredibly manipulative, evil person. But I've always thought of that phrase, and I say it every night to my daughter. And so she says it back to me now. So that's my mom bomb for this week. I love you more than all the words and all the books and all the world. So from Bridget and me. Trust in your goodness, live out your greatness, and rock on Atomic Moms. 